Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Think about it, 2020 has turned many of our lives upside down, so who couldn't use a major dose of hope? I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with friends or on your social media outlets and perhaps review it on Apple so others will find this podcast easily. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 828 stories from our She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to an incredible author friend of mine during this first half of the show, Grace Fox, who is totally living my dream. And then during the second half, I'm going to be bringing back Redemption Press team member, Shelly Brown, who I had on the show for a brief moment while we were having our Redemption Press team retreat back in November. So before I roll my conversation with Grace, I would love to give her a proper introduction. Grace Fox is the author of 10 books, including her new devotional, Finding Hope in Crisis, Devotionals for Calm in Chaos. That's the book we're going to be talking about today. She is a member of the First Five Bible Study Writing Team for Proverbs 31 Ministries and a regular contributor to Guidepost's annual devotional, Mornings with Jesus. Grace has been a career global worker for nearly 30 years. She and her husband, Gene, co-direct International Messengers Canada, a sending agency with career missionaries in 28 countries. Together, they celebrate three married kids and nine grandchildren. A few little-known facts about Grace. She began her married life living in a mud hut in the foothills of Nepal. She leads short-term mission teams into Eastern Europe annually and trains Middle Eastern nationals for career ministry. And here's how she's living my dream. She has lived on a sailboat for nearly three years. I love that. So let's go ahead and roll that tape. Well, I have been so looking forward to our conversation today. Grace, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Athena. I've been looking forward to it too. Yes. Well, before we jump into your brand new book that is absolutely hot off the press, I would love for you first just to share just a recent Romans 828 story that will give our listeners a little bit of insight into how God is working all things together for good in your life. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, this year, uh, the year of the pandemic has really flipped my life uh, upside down. My husband and I are 
missionaries, and we are based in North America, but we do a lot of international travel. And so normally we would probably be overseas for a total of a, a, a third or a fourth of the year. And that makes it really, uh, it's a test of my faith when I know that my family might be going through situations where they could use a hand. And so my prayer always is that God would orchestrate our schedule so that we would be available when our family needs us. And this year, my family needed me. And my mom was sick, uh, seriously ill, and uh, landed in the hospital and then a subacute ward for a while. And I was able to get out there to be with her on four occasions. And she lives 13 hours drive away from me. So it's not just a little jaunt. But on every occasion, I was able to be with her rather than overseas. And for that, I am so grateful. Also, another silver lining was just being available for my daughter, who's a frontline worker. She lives about 16 hours drive north of where I live, but she had to come down to my area to work for one week a month. But see, she has a toddler who needed care because her husband is actually a medical student and, you know, in, in the hospital this year shadowing a doctor and he's working about seven days a week sometimes. So she would have to bring the toddler down with her when she came to work. So she was able to stay with us and I was able to babysit her toddler for a week every month during the last part of this year and free her up to do what she had to do as a frontline worker. That's my Romans 828 story for this year is I wasn't overseas. I was home to help my family, which was a, a huge answer to my prayer. I love that. He is always all about redeeming the stuff that is, you know, it's bad. There's a lot of things that are bad about the pandemic, but God used that for good in your life in more than just one way. So I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. I'm super, super excited to talk about your brand new book, Finding Hope in Crisis, Devotions for Calm in Chaos. So, so good. The topic for your book is perfect for the times we're living in. Did you write it specifically with the pandemic in mind? Mm-hmm. Athena, it's just a funny backstory on this one because I did not, I did not see the pandemic coming, right? Who did? But See, I, I actually came up with this concept for this book more than two years ago, probably three years ago now. I, I took it with me to a writer's conference two and a half years ago and pitched it there. So there were a couple of editors that really liked it. They asked me to tweak it. I did that for them. And in the end, they still rejected it. And I thought, well, I'm disappointed, but I just really believe that God is sovereign over every detail of my life. And so I put it aside thinking I'll get back to tweaking it and I'll send it out again. But international travel took over and I just didn't have time to look at it. But during the whole time, I kept thinking, I don't like the title because it was it was a different title at the time. I don't like the title. They're not my forte. I need a better title. Last year or this year, actually, 2020, January 2020, I was visiting with a friend who was telling me about a crisis that she had been in just about three months prior with a friend who was dying of cancer. And in the middle of that conversation, it was like a download into my head. And this title, Finding Hope in Crisis, just came like boom. And I just looked at her and I told her about my heart for this book already. But I looked at her and I said, I have the title. I have the title. And 
it was about three more months until I could finally sit down and work on the proposal again and then hand it over to my agent to shop it around. But I wrote it not with a pandemic in mind, but God knew what was coming. And I can see his hand, his timing over all of it. Oh, my. Absolutely. I love that. So it's a little book filled with very brief daily meditations and relevant quotes. You just told us what prompted you to write it. So people say that hope is an optimistic attitude, but you say it's more than that. How -hmm. do you define hope? You know, hope is generally defined as an optimistic attitude or a good feeling that what you want to happen is going to happen. But I think a stronger definition, especially for believers, is that it's a confident anticipation, especially in reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. So it's like we can have an expectation of a good outcome because God is in control and God is good by nature, right? So by good outcome, I don't mean that what we want to happen is necessarily going to happen. But I mean, it's it's going to be a good outcome, whatever happens, because God is in control. He is good by nature. And everything he does is done from that heart of goodness. And that's so good to remember, because, you know, God working good doesn't necessarily mean it turns out the way we want. It's a beautiful... You know, we get the new house, we get the new job, we get the, you know, the positive. It can be God refining us. And that's good. That's exactly right. And he has purposes sometimes that we can't see and we won't even know until eternity. But his purposes are good because he promises that in his word. Absolutely. So why is hope so important when we face a crisis? Well, hope is really the thing that enables us to keep looking to the future, even when we're in the middle of a present that feels impossibly difficult. If we're in the middle of a crisis situation where we can't see the end of the tunnel, hope is what gives us that little bit of light. It gives us that glimmer when everything else is dark around us. I love what John Maxwell said. This isn't an exact quote, but this is the gist of it. And he says, that a person can lose his health, he can lose his finances, his home, he can lose all of his material possessions, and he can still come back from that. He can come back from those losses. He can be resilient. But if you take away a person's hope, there's nothing left to do but bury him. Wow. I know, that's profound, isn't it? Yeah, that is. And it's, but it's true. If we don't, that hope can overcome all of those other losses. But without that, it's like there's nothing left. That's right. That is exactly right. And that's really why I wrote this this little book. Not I mentioned before, I didn't write it specifically with a pandemic in mind because I didn't know it was coming. But I was thinking of people who end up in a crisis situation where Isn't that when we need hope the most, right? When we're in a a situation where it's just dark all around us. Yes. Uh, And so we're sitting there, or we we may be sitting there in numbness, right? Because something's just happened and we're absolutely numb. Or we might be 
running around like crazy because now there's a gazillion things that have to be taken care of in the middle of this crisis. It, it's pretty typical, though, to say that in a crisis, our minds are on overload. And that's when we need the encouragement from God's word the most. But I don't know about you, Athena, but when I'm in a crisis and my mind is on overload, I have a really hard time sitting down and just opening the word and reading, you know, like I'm reading through the Bible in a year right now. There's no way that my mind can focus on the long passages that I have to read for that daily reading. Mm. I can't, but I need the encouragement more than ever. And so this little book is a way to get those nuggets into people's hands so that they can have that kind of hope in the midst of the dark situation that they're in. Wow. So perfect. Cause that is, I mean, when, when it's just all around you and you don't know what to do next, but there's so much, it's overwhelming. Just that little piece that you're giving them in a short devotion is that's, that's the perfect that's the perfect fix. And I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So you face a significant crisis when your second child was born. Tell us about that. And, and what gave you hope in the midst of that situation? Mm-hmm. So my husband and I were working in Nepal at the time with a Christian nonprofit organization. And Stephanie was born with hydrocephalus. So That was like 35 years ago, and there was nothing they could do at that point to help her. It was too much water on the brain. Her head was the size of a large melon, although she was barely five pounds at birth. And so the doctors there told us that we had to go back to North America because she needed life-saving surgery. Well, when we tried to get airline tickets for the first available flight out, which was about three days after that, after her birthday... The airlines refused to issue a ticket to me because I'd had a cesarean section to deliver her and they considered me a medical high risk. So my husband ended up taking our newborn, which never would have happened after 9-11. But back in the day, you know, he wrapped up this baby in a blanket and he took one bottle of express breast milk and a diaper bag over his shoulder. He headed back to North America, back to Seattle, actually, and, and then to a hospital in Tacoma, Washington that was waiting for her to come and she had to have a shunt put in. But I had to wait for another week or so back in Kathmandu because the airline wouldn't let me travel until a week later. And so I didn't know whether or not I'd ever see my baby alive again or not because she was in pretty rough shape when Jean took her. But I just remember laying on the bed after Jean left for the airport and crying. I just cried and I said, God, what is it you're trying to teach me through this? What is going on? And into that very dark moment, he gave me that glimmer of light and hope by putting into my mind the lyrics of the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Mm. I remember laying there on my back and hot tears just running down my face and, and, and crying out to God and saying, you know, I, I believe you will be faithful. I, like at first I just listened to the lyrics and then I started singing them. Not that I felt like singing, but because I was hanging on to the truth, just hanging on like that poster. There there used to be a poster years ago of a little kitten hanging on with a claws around a knot at the end of the right. rope. Right. And that was me. That was me hanging on to the promise of God's faithfulness. And so I realized at that point that I couldn't put my hope in 
my daughter living, but I could put my hope in God's faithfulness so that whether she lived or died, he would still be faithful. Amen. So our human nature wants to avoid crisis at all costs. But when you write and teach, you suggest a different perspective. Mm -hmm. What is that? That perspective is found in James 1, 2 to 4, where it talks to us about counting all of our trials as opportunities for joy. And that really calls for an intentional reframing of the way we think. Because our human nature is like, ah, you know, get these problems away from me, get this crisis away. We want the crisis to end as soon as possible because we don't want to hurt and we don't want our loved ones to hurt. We want it to be all better. That's just the way we are. Right. But but God's word says, reframe this. You don't need to try to escape this thing. You don't need to wish it away because God is in the middle of this. Either he is intimately engaged in every detail of our lives or he's not. And And these are the things that show us areas of weakness in our lives, but they also show us Areas where we're strong and and we can grow as we discover more about ourselves, but we discover more about who God is in the midst of all these things as he we see him come to our rescue and we see him become our strength in new ways. And like I discovered through that God's faithfulness in a in a much more intimate way than I'd ever experienced it before. Well, and you said something about as you were processing that and you were crying on your bed. You ask the question, what am I supposed to learn? Mm -hmm. That is golden. Rather than why me, why is this happening to me? You ask that question that opened up an opportunity for God to, I mean, he's always trying to teach us. We're Mm -hmm. we're a little too hard headed sometimes to recognize it, you know, trying to get out of it. And I love that you did that because that is, that's how we grow from those situations. Exactly. When we, it's again, a matter of reframing the way we think about hard things, because we could say, why me? Uh, Or we could say, what, what is it that you want me to learn? And that question is so much more valuable because you're, you're right. I like what you said. It just opens things up. It opens the way for God to say, okay, let me show you. Here's, here's what I want you to learn. So we're running to him instead of away from him. Exactly. So crisis looks different to different people, right? Mm-hmm. What are some practical things that we can do to hang on to hope? So no matter what our crisis looks like, we're able to grasp that hope. Right. Okay. Yeah. There are uh, three things that I have found very helpful in the midst of crisis. And this one is really fresh for me too, because just even this last October, my mom passed away in the COVID business. It wasn't from COVID, but, but I lost my mom. And so uh, this is just really fresh for me. Crisis, let's see, in the midst of it, to choose to look for an optimistic outlook, like choose an optimistic outlook. I could choose to focus only on the negative that's happening around me. And you know what? We're in, we are in the midst of a crisis. Our brain naturally migrates toward the negative. 
found that when I was sitting vigil with my mom, my brain would naturally migrate towards the negative of, of all the hard stuff that was happening in the hospital, the chaos at that time, or all the hard things that she was going through. And I, I didn't want to negate any of those things, but I just had to reframe the way I thought about it all. And so one thing that I suggest is when we're in the middle of a crisis uh, or a loved one is in the middle of a crisis, you know, we can wake in the morning and before our feet even hit the floor, say, Father, this is the day that you have made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in your presence and your power with me today. And then whatever challenges come through the course of that day, do the James 1, 2 to 4 thing and choose to view them as opportunities for joy. Because you're going to have opportunities to see God work in new ways. That would be one. Choose an optimistic outlook. The second one is choose to focus on the problem solver rather than on the problem. Because that's good. Oh, whatever we focus on gets bigger and bigger in our in our vision. It's like whatever we allow our minds to habitually park or camp on, that thing is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in our thoughts as well. And so if we fixate on those concerns and on our fears, they will take over. Mm. But but hope, we gain hope when we focus instead on the character and the promises of God. And so that's not denying that whatever we're, we're in the middle of is happening. That's not a healthy thing either. Right. We want to acknowledge it, but we want to focus not on it, but on the character and promises of God. And Romans 8, 38 is a fabulous promise. I'll just say it. It's, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yes. The third thing, yeah, is to choose to trust God with the unknown. Because we can try to control it, but it never goes well. We just become ugly when we're trying to control, right? Yep, yep. But Corey Ten Boom said something that is so beautiful. And she said this, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. And so in the middle of our crisis, we need to learn to sit still and trust the engineer. Because he knows the way. That he does. And, you know, the more we understand the character of God and that he does work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to its purposes, not just everybody, but those of us who love him, you know, he it's it just shifts our perspective when we know he's going to do something good in this. So. I'm sure glad he's walking with me through it and I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that gives hope too, is remembering that we're not alone. We're not alone. And that, that would be another thing that I discovered, I guess the crisis with my daughter and the crisis with my mom, the most, you know, the much more recent one in that if we believe the, well, I was going to say, if we believe the lie that we're alone, but I'm going to backtrack on that because in some cases, 
people might not have family and maybe they're not part of a church family. So they don't have that family around them either. So they are more alone in a sense, but that's people wise, right? People wise might be alone because God is with us. We are never alone. And the enemy might want to put that in our head like a lie Mm -hmm. and try to get us to believe that because if he can make us feel like we're truly alone, we lose hope. We feel like this is too much for me to carry. I can't do this by myself. I can't go on. And then we go down from there and we lose hope and just give up. But when we remember the truth that God is with us because he promised to never leave us or forsake us, even if we're not surrounded by people, he is still with us and we can have hope from that truth. Exactly. Amen. So what would you say to the reader who thinks her only hope lies in her circumstances changing. I have a little wall hanging. Actually, I live on a sailboat. And so I have a little, it looks like a sail hanging on this on the wall. And it says, you can't change the wind, but you can change the sails. And I, I think that is a really good quote for the one who thinks that her only hope lies in her circumstances changing. Because you see, In reality, those circumstances might never change or they might not change in her lifetime. And so if we if we park all of our hope on those circumstances changing. We're not going to really ever know what true hope is all about. We will fall into despair, but we need to place our hope in God and in his promises and then allow the truth of of his character and his promises to align our heart and our thinking with his. So we might not change our circumstances, but we can change the sails. That would mean it's us. We change as we align our thoughts with God's truth. Amen. Okay. So in closing, I would love for you to share either a tip or a tool that would help our listeners remember that God really is working all things together for good. Even when we can't see it, even when it looks all doom and gloom and the end is near, we're, we're going to, you know, implode on ourselves. It's horrible. In the midst of all of that, how can our listeners remember that God really is good and working behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. I just finished teaching a whole Bible study on the power of our thoughts and how we are transformed by the renewing of our mind based on Romans 12 too. And that would be the tip is just to really be cautious of the thoughts that we allow to take root, the thoughts that we allow to camp in our mind, because the thoughts that we habitually think will influence our beliefs and those beliefs will influence our behaviors and our behaviors will determine our outcomes. So if we want to become nervous wrecks and fearful people, we just need to continue camping on the fearful thoughts (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and we'll get there. But if we want to maintain hope in the midst of all the fearful times that we're living in right now, We need to park our minds on the truth of God's word. Amen. Mm. Okay. So I would love, I'm sure there's women listening today that want to get a copy of the book. They want to find you online, connect with you on social media. 
Tell us how to do that. All right. So uh, my website is, it's easy. It's gracefox.com. And I have a monthly newsletter. I have a blog that's posted there as well. The tabs are there so they can see, um, you know, the tab for blog. Click on that for the blog. You can subscribe to receive the blog and my monthly newsletter on that page. There's a little place to check that off. So gracefox.com and then specifically slash blog. And also on Facebook, gracefox.author is where they can find me as well. And the book is available right now at christianbook.com. So finding hope in crisis, devotions for calm in chaos at christianbook.com. Perfect. So what a great and, and a great Christmas gift. Buy it now. You can get it. I mean, they'll ship them right out. So I am super excited about this resource for those of us who, you know, want to keep our focus in the right place. And I know, I mean, I've known your work for many years and you're always on target with being right in line with the word and the spirit of God. And so I just thank you so much for taking some time out of this crazy time of the year and being with us on the podcast and just sharing so much hope. Thank you so much. Thank you, Athena. So do you have a life experience when every time you share your story, others tell you, you need to write a book? Then this event is for you. Braveheart 2021 Virtual Writers Conference is your opportunity to hear from over 20 expert professionals in the publishing industry who will help guide and give you practical steps to gain the confidence to know where to start. Plus, we have keynote speakers and best-selling authors, Sheila Walsh, and Allie Worthington, who will encourage you with their personal stories and inspire you to take a brave step of faith to tell your God story. We as the She Writes For Him team are so incredibly passionate about helping launch writers to tell their stories that we have a special offer going if you sign up now to take advantage of the early bird discount of 50% off the regular conference registration, you will save $73. So register before December 31st for only $73. And if you'll head on over to SheWritesForHimConference.com, you will get all the information and be able to get in on that 50% off special. All right, we are back for the second half of the All Things Podcast, and I am super excited to bring Miss Shelley Brown back onto the digital stage of this podcast. So let me give her a proper introduction. Through writing and speaking, Shelley has spent more than a decade sharing the hope and love of Jesus. A life filled with loss, abuse, abandonment, and rejection left Shelley with deep heart and soul wounds. This gave her a unique platform of not only encouraging women, but also deeply understanding them and offering sound biblical truths and hope. 
After more than a decade in ministry, in 2008, Shelley's life took quite a drastic turn. With a series of losses, hurt, and betrayals, she found herself smack in the middle of a wilderness journey, one that would last more than 11 years. From 2008 until 2012, it was the painful stripping away of things she loved and held tightly to, all with the purpose of driving her into the presence of her Jesus so he could shine his light into the deep brokenness and unhealed areas of her heart. Shelley has spent the last few years rebuilding her life and is in awe of the goodness and faithfulness of God as he has been her healer, provider, redeemer, and restorer. Whether in business or leisure, ministering on the platform or one-on-one, Shelley's greatest desire is to be a vessel of God's healing power and transforming love to hurting women. Shelley lives in Orlando, Florida, and is mom to three adult children, two beautiful daughters in love, and grandma to three beautiful grand princesses. So here we go. Well, Miss Shelley, it is such a delight to have you back on the All Things Podcast. Welcome back to our time today together. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be back with you. Yes, yes. Well, last time we were in the middle of our Redemption Press team retreat, and I snagged you and all the other She Writes for Him leadership team members. And uh, so some of those listening today may have heard that podcast, but today I wanted to take a little more time with you and just really ask you to share. I mean, you have a Romans 828 story that Mm. I just think is amazing. And, and then let's unpack that a little bit and just uh, where you're at in that Romans 828 redemption and restoration peace sure. and and just how God is working so much good. So I, I'm just gonna have you go ahead and share that story and then we can bounce off of that. Okay. Yeah. So I think sometimes we look at a Romans 828 story of and you know being a full restoration and redemption part of it. Um you know, where things are, you know, like, for instance, you, Athena, you, you have an amazing redemption story of where God really restored a lot of things to you, not just spiritually, which he did so incredibly, but, and miraculously, but also physically, right? For me, I'm not there yet. I had a lot of loss in my, these last 12 years, it's been quite a long wilderness journey, which I talked about on the last episode that I was on with you. But a lot of pain before these 12 years in my childhood and a lot of unhealed pain with a lot of loss. And I think if almost if it could be experienced on some level, I experienced it before I turned 13, lost my mom the day, the month before my sixth birthday, my dad, my, he, we went to the funeral and he said goodbye that day, never saw him again. So it was abandoned mm-hmm. by my dad, had a large family that could have taken us in. There were, at this point, there were four of us children remaining. There were a total of five, but at this point, there were four of us remaining. And they chose instead to put us in foster care. And so, you know, rejected by my family, 
put in foster care, made wards of the state. And in that foster care, we were in other homes and all while my mom was sick for that last year of her life. So I'd already been in different homes and whatnot, but this was official. We were put in foster care. And during that time, I was horribly abused in unimaginable ways. It was a house of absolute perversion. And um, so it was horribly, horribly abused. Went from that into finally being adopted by a couple who could not have their own children. And they, it was like kind of moving on up. <laughs> I went from absolute poverty and uh, to this, one of the largest homes in this town in Pennsylvania. And I felt like a princess and had my own room, had just, it was just, had a closet with some toys in it and my own bed and just things that I had never experienced mm. before. And so it was incredible. But about three months into after coming to live with that family, my adopted mom began to horribly abuse me and and reject me. So the very one who chose me rejected me oh. and abused me. And so my childhood up till the time I was 13, they, my parents ended up getting divorced. My adopted parents ended up getting divorced and my dad got custody. So anyway, they moved us down here to Florida. He moved us down here to Florida. And just, I look back and I wish I had more time that where I could really unpack some of that and just show God's hand and his provision as horrible as all of that was, but to show how God has protected me through these years and just putting me in places where godly influences could pour into my life. So here I am, I'm growing up, um, I'm, I'm at a Christian school. I, I fall in love with the Lord as a teenager, I fall in love with the Lord. So I'm growing up, I'm in my early adult years and I knew I was hurting, but I was always, when I would share part of my story with people and I would try to reach out to somebody, they're just very well-meaning, godly women, amazing women. But I would always be met with, Shelly, you just need to trust the Lord. Or Shelly, you got stop looking at the past, dwelling on the past. And and then of course the famous one was Shelly, all things work together for good. You know, it's a, and those those were truth, right? It's truthful things, but I was so wounded and so hurt. So I, I had never healed from any of my past. I had to just continue to press on and I learned to cope. And what I realized over these last 12 years is God never intended for his daughters or his sons to just cope with life. He came to give us abundant life, right? And, well, and and the only way you can actually cope is to just harden your heart, numb yourself, yes, and and find coping mechanisms, which is right. not not what he intended. Absolutely, it's not. And so, yeah, that you do it like you said. You you have that hardened. You you put that wall up, right? And you just you press on, right? And. As I grew, I grew in the Lord. I loved the Lord. I, I had my intimate time with the Lord, and I and I ended up going being in ministry and and writing a lot and and teaching and speaking, and I loved that. And I was really ministering out of my own brokenness. I had never really fully experienced the healing. Well, twelve years ago, my world just absolutely fell apart, and what I saw and what I realized is. That, you know, our greatest growth and transformation comes out of pain. It's not during the most pleasant times of our life. And, you know, I had a, I had a really good adult life period. When, as my children were growing up, I was blessed with three beautiful children and we had a good life. And I mean, we had our normal challenges, but had a good life. I love pouring into women. I had a passion for hurting women because I could identify you know, with them, 
like I said, if it had been experienced on some level, I'd experienced it from loss to rejection to abuse. I'd experienced it on some level so I could have that understanding. Well, when things just fell apart, the Lord just, he allowed it. I'm not going to suggest that he caused any of it, but he allowed it into my life. And I know that it was to bring me to the end of myself and to expose in me the pain and the brokenness in my own life that I needed healing for my own life. And so I was stripped of everything. And it was the first four and a half years was a lot of betrayal and a lot of loss that began, the Lord used that to expose that pain. And I began to experience some healing in my life because I thought I was fine. People would look at me and I had it all together. (laughs) They didn't have a clue. Well, when I got to the end of myself, I was like, wow, I'm not okay. And he began to show me and put women, spirit-filled women of God who would listen to my heart and read between the lines, right? And they took me to the cross and they 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 took me to that place of allowing the Holy Spirit access to those areas and validating that I had a lot of pain in my life that nobody ever even validated. I, you know, when my mom died, I wasn't allowed to talk about her if I cried. I was disciplined for crying. This is in my, before I went into the foster home, I was never able to grieve for my mom. And so from day one, I learned how to, I, I suppressed it. I didn't cry. I didn't cry. I'm not kidding you until probably about 12 years ago when things began to just fall apart. I mean, the tears finally began to come. And so and tears are precious. Yes. <laughs> now, I, yeah. So they come more freely now, you know? So anyway, God just used that time to start that healing process. That was the first four and a half years of the journey. What God was doing so clearly was he was preparing me for what was about to happen. And that the second part of this 12-year journey that I was on was losing everything except for my three children and 95% of everything. My home of 21 years, my church of 33 years, relationships, my marriage of 21 years, I lost everything. And this was the stripping in, but God had begun to heal me to where it was preparing me to go through this next part of the journey that I could never have imagined going through. And so as it was coming toward the end of that divorce, when it was final, the Lord brought back into my life, somebody who I had not seen in 15 years. I ran into her at a target restroom, which is a miracle in itself. I just, I uh, anyway, that's a whole other crazy story, but I wasn't even supposed to be in there. I was like, no, I've, I got to go in there. And we both walked out literally at the stall at the same exact time. And she looked at me and she said, she said, Shelly. And uh, anyway, we, we reconnected, had no idea what our lives were like. She had been through a lot. I had been through a lot. We stood there and chatted outside of the restroom for about an hour. And she had this ministry that God had given her through her own pain and brokenness. And it was, it's a worldwide ministry. It was a divine appointment to put her in my life. At that point, I had experienced some healing, but there, I, I had really just begun to, just begun to experience healing. And God used that ministry. Love Unveiled is the name of the ministry. And it's a transformation ministry where it really gets to the heart of the matter. And what God showed her was that there are millions of God's daughters sitting in churches around the world who who are crawling like butterflies. So God gave her the analogy of the butterfly and the, and the caterpillar. And, and that's an amazing story in itself, how God gave her that, but that's a universal symbol. It doesn't matter what language you speak. 
you understand the caterpillar transformation to the butterfly. And so God gave that to her in while she was in India and ministering overseas. But anyway, it is this the transformation that God showed her that millions of God's daughters are sitting in churches. They are butterflies, but they don't know they're butterflies and they're crawling like caterpillars. Mm. And so, and God called her to the church, to the women in church. And how can we reach others and win the world for Christ when we're not flying? You know, we're not, we don't have both wings. And so with the butterfly, two wings, right? On the butterfly and the wings are truth and spirit. And so, and that's what brings freedom. And so the one wing with truth is, and the, in John 8, 31, 32, is the truth will set you free, right? And then in 2 Corinthians 3, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you have to have both wings. Well, I only had one wing. That was mm. one of those women that was serving in ministry, sitting in the churches and, and serving in ministry. And I only had the one wing. The wing that I had was a whole lot of truth. <laughs> I didn't know a lot about the spirit. And, you know, and so I was off balance, right? I knew the word. I loved the word, but I didn't know the power of the Holy Spirit. She introduced me to the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we can be off culture the other way too. Some can have a whole lot of spirit and not enough of the truth, right? right. So they're off balance. So you have both. And it's when you have both and you allow the whole, take that head knowledge of truth and you bring it down to your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to bring that healing. And so my Romans 8.28 story in this is that all of these things happen to bring me to the place of a deep inner healing, like layer by layer by layer of healing from my past. And then, of course, these last 12 years of the pain of these last 12 years. But it has been this freedom that I, I did not even, and this intimacy with the Lord, I didn't even know existed. Take it as those roots have gone deep now. So I'm not that I don't get shaken, but can't, it doesn't break me. <laughs> you know, I might fall in the pit now, but I don't stay there as long, you know. And so my restoration has been that it's been a full, it's been a spiritual transformation. I'm now, you know, I used to have these dreams of speaking to the masses. I love speaking. And I thought I was going to be standing on platform and speaking. I'd rather do that than a one-on-one. And so God has changed my longing for that. Or like if I was asked now to stand up on a platform and share to the, speak to the masses, I'd be terrified. And now the opportunity is that I'm doing more one-on-ones where we're getting into the heart of the matter. And I'm being able to sit there and to walk other women through their own painful brokenness and into freedom. And it's that it's both wings. It's, you know, they're crawling as caterpillars just the transformation is into this beautiful butterfly because they're butterflies. If we know the Lord, we're a butterfly, we're flying <laughs> or we have our wings, I should say, but, but now, you know, I I'm flying with both wings and it's that truth and spirit. So your restoration and my restoration look different. Yes. And I would guess, I mean, sometimes I almost feel bad talking about how God gave me my Prince Charming and how he put me back in, you know, Redemption Press and gave me another chance. And sometimes I almost feel guilty talking about that because not everybody's experienced the kind of restoration that I've experienced. Right. And it can look different for everyone. It's, right. you know, tell me a little bit about how you've processed where you're at and where you hope to be. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's so what you just said is so, so good and so true because it does look different for everyone. And I think when, when we look at somebody like yourself, where, where you've had this true restoration and so much restored, like, like the Job story, right? Where his latter days, he had more in his latter days than, than he did in his former days. And um, I can just tell you that I have gotten to know the Lord in such an intimate level that that is where I run to. And I'm not saying these last few months and completely transparent and vulnerable with you. I'm just going to say this. I have been in a pit quite a bit. I haven't had some real challenges these last few months and the enemy has just like, I'm, I was teetering and like one thing would happen, a trigger would happen and I'd find myself in that pit, but I didn't stay there as long. And he would, you know, because I know truth. So I go to truth and you know, it's his word that transforms us, right? It's his word. And you can, if what we know about God is what we hear at the, from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, we're going to be constantly disappointed by God. We're going to feel abandoned by him. We're going to feel slighted by him. And, you know, we have to do it for ourselves. We have to be in his word. And I share with women, if you don't have a love for the word, ask God to give you the love, you know, mm. for the word. Yes. And he'll do that for you. Because, you know, what he says in the gospel, he says, if you ask for something, he's not going to give you a scorpion. So if you're asking something in his will, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. And if you, and you have to be in his word and allow him to be wherever you are in your life. If you're, if you're single like me, I go to Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 54. I always get 54 and 55 mixed up, but it's in Isaiah where he is my maker and my husband. He is yep. the true lover of my soul. And so he's the one that I go to. And the only reason I know this is because I, I know his word. And and I, I've gone from the point of, of, like I said earlier, just that that knowledge of his word, but it has so deeply rooted in me, his truth. And, you know, and when you look at the progression in, in the Gospels, Jesus, his very first thing with the, the disciples was come follow me, right? Come follow me. The next was um, come to me, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And the next one was abide mm. in that order. And we get it so mixed up in, you know, the abiding is that deep, deep intimacy. And the, the word, when you go to John 15, and it's all about abiding in him, the word to know him, that's the same word that is like a husband wife relationship. It's the deepest level of intimacy that there is. And that's the intimacy that he wants with us. So for me, this Romans 828 full circle thing Yes, my house has not been restored to me. My finances have not been restored to me. I am a single woman, empty nester. I, do I get discouraged? Do I have sadness? Honestly, yeah, I do. <laughs> but I know where to go with it, right? Because mm. he's been so faithful to me. And like over Thanksgiving, it was a really challenging week for me over Thanksgiving in particular. And one morning, it was the day after Thanksgiving on Friday morning, I literally, before my feet hit the ground, I woke up with this heaviness and I just said out loud to the Lord, I said, okay, God, you and I need to talk. <laughs> and I, I've been talking to him for the last few days. I really was pressing in, but I just feel like, I felt like I wasn't hearing him and I couldn't take it anymore that weekend. And I was like, God, you and I, we got to talk. I literally said that out loud. And I went and I sat in a chair with my, with the word again, 
this was like every day I'm doing this, but this was like, okay, God, I'm sitting here until I hear from you because I, I have to hear from you. And I heard from him, the silence, the darkness, the heaviness began to lift. So you, that doesn't happen unless you seek him. He mm. promises in Jeremiah 29, 13, that if you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. It's a conditional promise is you have to seek him. And when you do, you'll find him. And sometimes it takes time to continue to trust him, um, but you will find him and he will give you that peace that passes all understanding. And, and just the fact that you can see when you're beginning to kind of drift a little and fall into fear or anxiety or different things. And you take it to him right away rather than, well, let's go get, you know, a prescription or go to the doctor or go, going to all these other okay. answers. You're going to him yes. and you're, he's restoring your soul. Yes. And mm. it may not be a husband now. It may not be, a, who knows? Right. I mean, no, no one knows, but that's a healthy way to walk with God when you're, it's not that we never struggle. It's what do we do with that? Right. Exactly. But what yeah. I love about your Romans 8:28 story is that you went through all that brokenness, all that woundedness, were able to really complete that. I mean, we're always, there's more stuff that comes up and I'm not, I'm not saying we're all, we've all arrived when we've gotten our major part of our healing, but you got some major healing through that ministry, Love Unveiled. And now you are working in that, they have quarterly, I think, events where you go and pour into other women who were where you are or where you were however many years ago. And I love that is such a Romans 828 right there, how God really brought some good out of your own brokenness and your own struggle for freedom in the Lord mm -hmm. as a believer still being right. broken and how he's used that for you to reach out and help others. I just love that. Yeah. And it looks completely different than what I had ever envisioned. Cause I'm telling you, when I said I, I was terrified to sit one-on-one -on -one with a woman, I, I was safe, you know, having an audience, having three, 400 women and speaking to them because there was an intimacy there. I didn't need to get, intimate with them right and get in and i could they were inspired they were encouraged somewhere and i know god used it there's no doubt but he had more for me he wanted the, he, he needed me to be healed and i believe um just some uh this journey from 12 years ago just really believe he gave me a promise and something that i journaled and i'm just still standing on that promise as far as ministry goes of what how he's gonna or what he's going to do with, with the ministry so I believe there's so much more and, but you know what, <laughs> if it's not, it's okay. Because at the end of the day, he wants us. Yeah. He wants, you know, if, if he were to just ask me and my friend Liz with who is the founder of the love unveiled, one of the things that she said that the Lord showed her and she posed this question to a group of us ladies leaders with love unveiled was if God were to ask you to just, sit with me, not to do anything else, just to sit with me. Would you be okay with just abiding and sitting with me? You know, that, are we okay with that? If that's all he wants from us to do, because this, the culture today and in church, we've got to be doing, 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 right? Well, what if he just wants you to take a season and just, just sit with him and let people judge you, 
<laughs> let them, you know, because and I've experienced that where people are like, wow, she must be backslidden because she's not here doing, you know, this, this and this now. No, my greatest growth has gone in those seasons of just sitting and abiding with him. And, um, and it's okay. And it's healthy for us to have some of those boundaries where we say, no, yeah. I'm supposed to spend this time with the Lord, not do this ministry yeah. at church or do this. Cause we can, I mean, that can be our medication of choice choice right. yeah. is being involved in every different ministry that right. comes along and trying right. to be a savior to, you know, right. that group of people. Yeah. And the perception too is, you know, and this, this is a general statement, but I've personally experienced this where, you know, you're really, really busy. And so the perception is, wow, they must be really godly and have a really good relationship with the Lord. Well, maybe it's just, they're really, really busy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, in fact, um, with our upcoming conference, the She Writes for Him conference for 2021, we have Sheila Walsh as one of our keynoters yes. because specifically of her story of she was hiding in Christian ministry and she was as broken as broken could be and never dealt with it until God took her to the end of herself. Yeah. And that's so much of, I think, ministry is done as self-medication mm -hmm. rather than really right. following what God's asking us to do. Right. Well, my friend, we are out of time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. That was just, you know, icing on the cake after your last time on. But I just love your heart for God and just the way that you have allowed him to work in your life and mm -hmm. the fruit that I see all the time. So mm -hmm. thank you, my friend. It has just been a delight to have this time with you. Thank you for having me. The delight. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.